BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello and welcome to the China Sports Insider Podcast. My name is Haig Balian and I am with the China Sports Insider, Mark Dreyer. Today, NHL players are back in the Olympics. Five months to go until the Olympics and still a lot of unanswered questions. Paralympics, World Cup qualifying and a huge winter expo right here in Beijing. It is all happening. Mark, it's been a while. How are you? I am very well. Uh, listeners can't see this, but I'm standing on my chest celebrating yes. the return <laughs> of NHL players to the Olympics. It's massive. Mark, so when I heard, we're going to talk about this in depth, but when I heard about this story on Friday, uh, I was super excited. I thought, okay, this is amazing. I get to see Dry Saddle. I get to see, well, Connor McDavid, Alex Ovechkin, and all the other great players who are in the NHL right now. But I also thought, wow, RIP China. Their men's national team. Wow, it's 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 going to be sad. What were your thoughts? Uh, initially, it was just it was just the good news that after a year of back and forth and negotiations behind the scenes and rumors and half rumors and you know it for people who haven't been following this as as as, as closely as as perhaps we have a year ago over a year ago it was provisionally agreed that the NHL players would return to the Olympics for 2022 and 2026 after they were forced to skip 2018, um, but they'd previously been at the Olympics before that. And the context behind that is players love the Olympics, fans love the NHL players at the Olympics, but the league, the NHL, and the owners only see it as a negative because they have to close their season for three weeks, and players might come back either tired or, or worse, injured. So the league never likes players to go. They don't see the long-term benefits. Personally, I think that's incredibly short-sighted of them because it raises the profile of the game and and introduces it to a whole new audience. Um, however, it doesn't really matter because they are now back. They have finally, uh, after that provisional agreement last summer, they have uh, uh, finalized the, the details. There's a couple of things left undone there. There's, there's apparently no COVID insurance, so that's a bit of a risk. But the players have basically said, we don't care. We're so desperate to go that we will go anyway. And there is a clause that says if something dramatic happens with COVID, they could still withdraw. I don't see that happening because China's not going to have any dramatic COVID problems between now and then. It's just it's just not gonna it's not gonna happen. If there are COVID problems which are dramatically worse than the current situation in North America, 
does that still prevent them from getting on a plane and going? I, I don't know. I don't know why it would. So I, I think it's pretty good at this stage. So I think a couple of things with that. I mean, first of all, most NHL players are vaccinated. Uh, yep. oh, I think over 95%. Yes, yes. So that that points to hopefully things running smoothly this year. And, and, and I th- you know, I think... I think we're going to have them here. I think, you know, my gut feeling is this this is going to happen. But, you know, one of the reasons for that is, uh, first of all, they missed PyeongChang in 2018. So they haven't played in the Olympics in eight years now. And NHL players and NHL hockey fans, they love best-on-best tournaments. And we've just really been starved of that. And this is something that, you know, I I, I personally miss and I'm so excited about. I mean, look, this is the the Winter Olympic equivalent of the, the NBA Dream Team. Um, And I would say more than that, because whereas the majority of NBA players, maybe not so much these days, but it's it's, it's heavily centered on the U.S. team for basketball. When it comes to hockey, you know, you've got all the top teams. There's only 12 teams at at the Olympics. And, you know, it's not just the the Canadians and the Americans, but the Russians. Alex Ovechkin has has pretty much said in the past he would just break his NHL contract if he wasn't allowed to go because he wants to play for Russia. You've got the Swedes, you've got the Finns, a lot of good friends. Uh, Dreisaitl from Germany, another team that's in China's group. Uh, We'll get to that (laughs) in a bit. Let's talk about it in a sec, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think a lot of countries uh, have have uh, have some have some um, you know some some stake in this. So the NHL is going to take a break from what's a three week break from what February sixth to the twenty second or something like that. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. So they have the All Star uh, Weekend. Uh, February fourth is when the Olympics start, and right around that weekend they have the All Star uh, Weekend. Now uh, there's a charter flight, one or more charter flights, which apparently is going to fly directly from the All-Star Weekend, take all the NHL players together, Whoa. which is kind of cool. Yeah. And this is how they've done it in the past. Uh, but even, but particularly, this is how a lot of uh, Olympians are going to come into China. At least at least China hopes this because there aren't too many flights into China right now. Some of the uh, the smaller countries might struggle to, to find plates. They're not going to be able to, to organize their own charter flights. But for the NHL players, they're all going to come together on one or more planes, fly straight in, um, I think on the 6th of February, which is three days before the tournament starts. And then they're just going to crank out the games. And then uh, not sure if they'll all come back together because there might be some COVID rules that say once you're out, you've got to leave. But, uh, that, you know, those are minor details. Yeah. And, and you know, as, as you said, it's a great opportunity to put hockey front and center in China. Yeah. Uh, back in May, you wrote about China's hockey team. And as the Olympics get closer... That PC road in China Sports Insider has gotten a lot more attention. Can you just remind us where we are with China's hockey team and, and what, what you can tell us about, about where they are? So in 2015, that's when China was awarded uh, the, the, the Winter Olympic Games. And now in hockey, the host nation doesn't automatically qualify, although there has been precedent where the host nation is automatically given a berth, such as uh, the South Koreans for, for 2018. And so a few years later, the same thing happened to China. The IIHF gave the Chinese men an automatic berth into the tournament, even though, well, they were ranked way below the top 12, and there's only 12 teams in the tournament. They're currently 32 in the world. Uh, it's it's not a good look. And uh, the gulf between the top and the 32nd, let me tell you, is is large. So they've had a number of years to try to get the program up to speed, but... Long story short, there's been a lot of infighting between the different parties involved. Now, one of the parties is, of course, the Chinese Ice Hockey Association. You've also got the local professional team, which is the Kunlun Red Star. They play a, um, 
in the Russian league. And the, uh, currently the, the Chinese team in that Russian league is based out of Russia because of COVID means they can't travel back and forth. But for the last few years, we've had games in Beijing and in Shanghai, and they've been traveling all over the, the continent. Um, that was supposed to form the basis of the Chinese team. But then Kunlun Red Star effectively fell out with the Chinese Ice Hockey Association. Uh, no one exactly knows quite when or, or, or how it happened, but it did. And so then they were stuck with the Chinese Olympic effectively development squad, uh, a bunch of youngish kids who were up in Shenyang for like a year. And quite frankly, they were nowhere near the level uh, good enough to be to be playing. If the IIHF knew it was going to be that team against NHL All-Stars, there is no way they would have granted China a place in the Olympics. So the stakes were raised as we were coming closer to the Olympics because people were beginning to realize that the Chinese team was just so far below the, the necessary standard. And so the IIHF effectively said, look, Sort out your team recruitment. Get some of these uh, foreign, uh, what's called heritage players, so North American players of Chinese descent. Recruit them into Team China as you promised you would do several years ago and as uh, Kunlun Red Star has basically already done for you because they were playing for, for, the, for the, the, the Kunlun Red Star team in the KHL. Or we're going to chuck you out of the tournament. That actually worked because it looks like these heritage players, they're, they're basically in. So... The team, Team China, is now effectively playing under the Kunlun Red Star banner in Russia. The season's just kicked off. So we will see over the few, uh, next few months how many local Chinese really are getting ice time, how many foreign recruits are playing, and, and frankly, how good they are as well. Okay, so on the one hand, I see, okay, it's, it's very positive that these players do get a chance to play with each other, get used to each other, and, and sort of or get you know have a chance to organize for the Olympics. On the other, I have to ask, like, how how competitive have they been in the KHL so far? Well, we're just two games in, oh, okay. um, so the, so their their one on one is their record. Okay, uh, they they had a good comeback win uh, just a couple of nights ago, but uh, it was all these you know the, these heritage players, so the foreign born players scored all four goals, and and they are as I would expect in the Olympics, probably getting. They, my guess, this is a guess, but I, I would have thought that the roster for the Olympics will probably be two-thirds heritage players and, and a handful of sort of like Chinese homegrown players. But those heritage players will probably get 90% of the ice time. To recap, China's group in the Olympics. Yeah. Canada. Hmm. The United States. Yes. <laughs> and Germany. Germany. Silver medalist last time out. Leon Dreisaitl are one of the best players in the world. So people think... Oh, Germany, that's an easier one. Yeah, not that easy. Not that easy. Um, I I am a... Fr- I, you know, I, I don't know what scores we're looking at here, but it's not going to be pretty. So when I wrote this piece in May, we didn't know... Number one, we didn't know if the NHL players were going to join at that time. And we also didn't know if China was going to have these foreign recruits in. But the worst case scenario was NHL All-Stars going up against the Chinese youngsters. And I spoke to a coach who has worked with professional ice hockey players around the world, including the Chinese development team, and he said 100 to 0. And everyone thought, well, that's crazy. He was like, no, no, it's, it's really that bad. It's really that bad. If if the US or, or Canadian teams kind of put their foot down, that's how different the golfing class is. Now, we now have the the foreign recruits confirmed basically confirmed to be playing for the Chinese team. So it's not nearly as bad. But it's going to be bad, Mark. It is going to be bad. I reached out to a bunch of people this week, 
and everyone thought double digit scores. Yeah. So ten or more. Oh, if they're lucky. The the top end kind of had the had the Chinese team playing, uh, maybe conceding twenty five or thirty, yeah. and no one no one had China scoring a goal. So for me, objectively, forget forget how China's going to view this, but objectively, if China can score a goal at the Olympics, that's a win. Yeah. If they can keep the scores respectable to some degree, that's also that's also a big win. You made a really good point today in China Sports Insider uh, when you speculated how Chinese TV is going to write or how Chinese TV is going to react to these blowouts. What, what, do, you, what do you think is going to happen? Uh, okay, so I, the context for this is, you know, Ch- China's, China's very patriotic and you see this in its sports coverage. So we talked about this during the Olympics. When China wins a gold medal, we see the celebrations. We see it endlessly on repeat. As soon as they win, like a swimming race, they go back and play the whole race again, like just moments later, and then it will be on later that day. Uh, And there's a lot of gold medal winning performances. If China loses, particularly if it loses to a rival like Japan in, in table tennis, within seconds of the game ending, they cut to a break, and that's the end of the broadcast. Yeah. I saw something. Down the memory hole. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's it's night and day. I mean, look, that's okay. Maybe you can say, well, Chinese fans don't want to don't want to see China lose, you know. But you know, for me, part of being a good winner is kind of being a good loser as well. And and so it kind of makes the defeats. It it makes the wins sweeter when you have to kind of suffer through those, those defeats. Um, anyway, I can see if if it really is going to be you know, 25, 30 to nothing. I could see CCTV, the main broadcaster, be like, oh, hey, there's a curling game on tonight. Um, but go to our cable channel if you want to watch the, or online if you want to watch the hockey. Because most Chinese people aren't that into ice hockey. They don't really have the context for, you know, the difference, the disparity, the sure. huge disparity in the, in the two teams. It's not like when, you know, Yao Ming and China played the dream team at the 2008 Olympics, you know, Yao is a good player. The team was reasonably competitive. No one expected them to win, but they did okay. And the other thing is you're still, in basketball, you're still scoring a bunch of points, even in a blowout defeat. In ice hockey, you're just not scoring anything. So for people who are being introduced to the game for the first time and they're seeing the Americans and think of all the the geopolitical implications of that, come in and and beat China and it's just massively one-sided. Why does China want to, broadcast that to the, to its people i could see it well we'll have to wait and see i mean they'll definitely be you know broadcasting uh the 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 canada versus u.s game you know that's that's a that's a huge game with a lot of professional nhl players there but i'm just not sure how they're going to deal with these games against the chinese team because on the one hand they want to promote the fact that you know china's playing these big stars but it's best case scenario it's it's not going to go well. Well, you know, best case scenario, there, there, there's still sort of a path there to growing the game in the country. And hopefully this won't yeah. harm that, Yeah. you know, too, too badly. If you focus on the growth and the yeah. fact that we're here in the Olympics, China is, is, is you know, like I speak from someone, I don't want to see China get blown out. It just doesn't. No, the worst not, case yeah. scenario is it turns people off the game in China. That it's is not fun. So, so Mark, there's this five months to go. Yeah. To the Olympics. That's it's just coming by so quickly, but there's still so many questions. 
uh, last month, the New York Times, they reported in this big story that Beijing organizers had learned a lot from Tokyo and that measures here will go way beyond what we saw in Tokyo. Um, the article reported that there's going to be a strict bubble that will keep athletes, judges, drivers, guides, and journalists away from, well... Each other. As every, well as, yeah, as well each other and everyone else, yeah. exactly. Um, journalists will have to interview athletes through plastic walls. But, you know, for anyone who's been here for, in, in China for any length of time, that shouldn't come as a surprise. Uh, Mark, you wrote a long post about what to expect for the Olympics. One thing that you and I completely <laughs> agree with is that foreign spectators will not be allowed to come in to China for the Olympics. But are there going to be any spectators at all? What, what you, you, you put in a few scenarios there. What, what do you think? So, first of all, they haven't made a decision. They have said that they would like to have spectators. Um, but that's very different saying they're going to have spectators. And the problem is, the problem is you have an estimated 32,000 people coming into China. Um, and we'll get onto the quarantine in a moment. Yes. But as far as, as far as I'm hearing from every single source, all the athletes, and this is a, probably 4,000 of them, and potentially some coaches as well, will not have to quarantine. China will just see that as 4,000 potentially infected people. And so it cannot allow, it cannot afford these thousands of people to come into contact with anyone who could then infect the wider Chinese population. So think about that, what that means in terms of these sealed bubbles, you know, so how can you have fans going into an ice hockey arena unless they're playing in literally like a closed sealed perspex dome and you're in the stands, but it's not like, it's not like the walls protecting the uh, the puck from going into the stands. You've got to have like sealed the, the, the roof of that as well. I don't even know if that's possible. So for the indoor arenas, I'm not quite sure. There's one There's one scenario I'll get into in a sec, um, but I'm not sure how you generally could have fans for that. For the outdoor snow events, it's outdoors, so there's less risk of infection. You can have the, the fans lining the slopes miles away from, you know, someone who's whizzing down in skis. Like, the risk is basically zero. Pretty much, yeah. Um, so I could see a distinction being made between the outdoor typically snow events and the indoor typically ice events yeah which are which are going to be mostly in up in Changli and correct and Yenqing and the other yeah and and it sounds like there's going to be three very distinct bubbles so yeah. there's going to be the Beijing cluster the Yenqing uh and and uh Jianjiakou, which are the other two clusters and so those bubbles will kind of like if you're if you're the head of an Olympic committee and you're trying to see your athletes buzzing around between the different you know clusters you're not going to be able to get in yeah. Because you're basically reinfecting, you know, cross infection, and so yeah, we're laughing about it, but it it's not going to be fun. People said Tokyo wasn't fun from the athletes. This is going to be pretty brutal, to be honest. Like yeah. the 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 party atmosphere, the celebrations, the sightseeing, you know, forget all of that. The one area I could see fans happening is if there were a number of Chinese spectators who were brought into the bubble. And they went from event to event, and then they quarantined before coming back into Chinese society. Then that that would tick the boxes, as far as I can tell from the Chinese perspective. I love that scenario, and I love it because I have to wonder: like, w- would you do that if you had the opportunity just to be quarantined for a, just just to be in that bubble for two weeks or three weeks, and then you know face a quarantine afterward? So what I'm hearing as well is that all the workers, so this presumably the same the same rules would apply, is that they have to quarantine for three weeks before going into the bubble, oh, then do their stint, however long that is, 
and then do another three weeks of quarantine before they can come out. So, no, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> because you're then probably watching on watching through, like, you know, glass walls or whatever, um, and you're not even going to get to interact with the athletes. So, yeah, the, the TV experience at that point is... Um, the TV experience is, is, is true. <laughs> is, it's going to be, gonna be a, a, a slightly more satisfying one than, than that scenario. I think one of the most controversial aspects of these Olympics, for, for athletes anyway, is whether they're going to have to quarantine... Um, when they come to Beijing. So just to give some context, almost everyone who travels to China now has to quarantine for at least 14 days, and usually there's another seven days of observation. If someone on your flight tested positive, then you're going to be tested every couple of days. If you test positive, you're going to be taken to a centralized quarantine facility where you're going to be treated. Sometimes these protocols change, but this or some version of it has been in place in China for about a year and COVID has been under control. So with the Olympics coming, as you said, you know, we have 3,000 athletes and 10, thousands, uh, tens of thousands of other people coming in. Um, you don't think quarantine is realistic for incoming athletes. I, Why? I can't see an Olympics happening if the athletes have to have to quarantine. I mean, let, let, we talked about the hockey players, right? They have a three-week window to come over and play a three-week tournament. Um they're not going to come over for six weeks because they have to quarantine for three weeks. In Beijing, it's it's a it's a twenty one day quarantine. It's just not going to happen. They'll say forget it. So that has they haven't announced this, but that's basically that's already in the negotiations. Like that's that's a done deal. You can't have different rules for different sports. I just can't see that that's fair. A lot of these athletes are amateurs. They're not professionals. So taking time off when they basically spend all their money on training and everything else, and and perhaps they have to fly themselves over here you don't you know for, for you know, money is tight for a lot of the for sure. a lot of these athletes they can't just take another three weeks off work who's paying for that for for example as well so that if that was the case athletes would be pulling out in droves countries would be pulling out and the protests would you know and and, and china would so china knows it has to it has to accommodate that particular thing two things it will try and keep that number of of athletes plus, you know, maybe some coaches down to an absolute minimum so that all the journalists, all the media, all the officials still have to do the quarantine. Um, but number two, that's why we're going to see these, these like, hygienic bubbles, sealed bubbles, like, just unlike anything we saw in, in Tokyo, which China would have regarded as, as basically porous. Yeah. Uh, that's why we're going to see the, the, this kind of bubble thing into effect because there's no other way to keep the country safe. You know, I, and I get, I get the points you're making. It will have an impact on competition for sure if there is a quarantine and just, you know, and all the financial implications as well. It's just that for those of us who've been here for so long, it's just so hard to even imagine those rules loosening up at all just because we have... You know, I, th I feel like we've sacrificed a lot for, for what we have right now. And it's just kind of an amazing thing that, you know, we sort of have to say, OK, well, you know, these athletes are going to come in. We're, there's going to be a massive party. And here we are. But it but it's not going to be a party. They're basically going to be in a separate little part of, of China. It's going right. to be like a separate country. Yeah. And so that's why it's I think it's going to be different. China has has almost with without exception, you know, enforced the, these quarantine restrictions. I can think of a couple of things. You know, Wule, who's a who's a soccer player, came back from uh, from Spain and went straight into the kind of the training bubble. 
Um, they needed him to play, frankly, <laughs> so they couldn't afford <laughs> yeah. him to be quarantining for three weeks ahead of the, the last round of, of, of qualifiers. Yeah. A couple of politicians have sort of flown in, U.S. politicians have flown in to, uh, to, to, um, to Beijing. Uh, John Kerry last week, I think, was to, here. Yes, yeah. to Tianjin, sorry. Yeah. Uh, now, they don't have to quarantine. But anyone who meets with them then has to quarantine. Mark, at some point, we won't have to speculate anymore. And we're, we, we will get some real answers. I'm looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to the Olympics. It's five yeah. more months to go. I mean, look, uh, party or not, it's still the Olympics. It's still going to be uh, a momentous occasion. I, I, I hope that, you know, maybe we'll kind of have a parallel. It'll be a TV Olympics, but we'll still be able to have kind of like a festive atmosphere in Beijing, we might not be able to see any of the sporting action live, but it will still be on going on in our doorstep, and maybe you know there can, can be festivities surrounding that. It's not going to be like 2008, that's for sure. But uh, you know, I think we'll make the most of it. Mark, just a few more items here. Let's move on to World Cup qualifying. China lost to Australia 3-0 in the opening match of the Asian qualifiers. Here's how Australia's first goal sounded on Australian TV. The Socceroos have very calmly navigated their way past that particular obstruction. And they go centrally. Mobile took it first time and forced the save out of Yan Junling. It's still alive. Taggart trying to clip it over the goalkeeper. It's forced over the line. Mobile opens the scoring for Australia. It's his first goal in World Cup qualifying for 2022. And that pressure has paid off. Mobile with the finishing touch. And Graham Arnold's team lead China. China was already an underdog, but now the job gets much, much harder. Where does China go from here, Mark? I won't go into all the ins and outs of qualifying. As you said, they were an underdog. If they lose to Japan on Tuesday night, and these games are being played in Doha, by the way, because uh, no countries are able to yeah. you know, satisfy COVID travel restrictions. If they lose against Japan... I, they're done. They're done. It's it's uh, they got ten games to play in this whole. You know, there's six other t- six teams in each group, and the top two qualify and they play everyone else home and away. But with a loss to Australia and then a loss to Japan, even though Japan had a shock defeat last week against Oman, which you know for a second opened the door until a few hours later, China lost pretty comprehensively. They have to basically overhaul one of uh, Australia and Japan, and if they're up against it this early on, it's just not going to happen. I have been trying to catch up with the Paralympics. I watched some fencing yesterday and a little bit of volleyball. China's doing incredibly well. They have dominated the Summer Paralympics for a number of cycles. Uh, and they, uh, I checked earlier, just a few hours ago, they had 96 gold medals. I don't think they're quite going to get to uh, to 100, but they've got hundreds of total medals. Um, they haven't been as good historically in the Winter Olympics, but uh, th- I know there's been a lot of uh, investment on the Paralympic side as well. So it'd be really interesting to see how much improvement they can make on the on the, the Winter Paralympics uh, in in you know six months' time. It would be from now. But yeah, I love the Paralympics. I actually commentated on the Paralympics in 2008, and then again in in Vancouver 2010, and it's some of the most inspiring stuff you can you can see every single person there just has an amazing story by nature of it being the Paralympics uh and so there's there's just so much going on but yeah I love it um good to see that that you know China takes this seriously as well and they sent a large delegation to Tokyo uh and they have absolutely blown away the competition but hey hi there was one thing I wanted to ask you about because Shogang is one of the 
uh, the venues in in Beijing that will ho- that will host some of the 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 ski events, uh, the the aerials or you know the big air events, and it's a fascinating venue, sort of uh, this this converted sort of oil. Uh, so so Shogang is okay. So first of all, Shogang sits at the very western edge of Beijing. So you, if you go further uh, past uh, Shogang, you get to the mountains. Yeah, um, that's the site of the Shogang Steel Mill, which you know in the early part of the twentieth century was where basically all the steel in China was made. It was a symbol of Chinese uh, manufacturing might, right? Uh, But it's been, uh, you know, it hasn't been used for decades. Now, the Olympics come along, and instead of tearing the place down, they decide to... um, uh, build the aerials there, and this it's also where the uh, Olympic organizing headquarters are. Yeah, and it's and I can't stress this enough. It is a massive site, and it's also a park on TV in February. This is going to be really one of the most spectacular yes. sporting sites most people have ever seen. It's just this incredible combination of the new and the old. All these sort of rusted silos are still there. It, it's it's this incredible combination. It's, that- st- it's stunning. I went to a big air competition uh, with my son, who I think at the time was about six or seven. This was a couple of couple of winters ago. And to your point of being a massive site, I mean, it was absolutely stunning with the the mountains and the sun setting in the backdrop. Yeah, it was it was it was literally you know jaw dropping. However, to get in and out. Yeah. And you just have to walk everywhere. Yeah, it's a trek. So I'm really hoping that the, you know for the competitions next February, they they figure out the transport. Yeah, actually, and, and not only that, but the subway only goes to. I mean, the subway stop is still like two kilometers away from from Shogang, the the site of the of the aerials. So I mean, I had to walk a good forty five minutes until I could even get a Didi to right. take me. Yeah to the subway stop. And the yeah. subway itself, I mean, it's it's quite a bit away from the center of the city. They're, so. they're actually going to have some some driverless taxis, oh, I believe, cool. in the area that Baidu is running. But oh, the reason wow. I brought it up is because there was a winter sports yeah. expo that you went to. So so what was it like? Yeah, um, so the winter sports expo is actually the biggest sports expo in Asia. Uh, they took over two huge exhibition halls. Um, and there were people showing their ski helmets, gondolas, snow-making machines, you know, basically anything to do with winter sports, it was there. Um, I was there all day yesterday with uh, Beijing Radio, and my legs are still really <laughs> sore. I walked over 15 kilometers. You could just get a sense of how seriously Beijing and China are taking winter sports. Yeah. Um, I had a chance to speak with Marco from an Austrian company called Advanced Sporting Technology. They make ice rinks. And I asked him where his customers are in China. Here's what he had to say. They're all over China. Um, they're everywhere. We're building, uh, for example, uh, I, I'm sure everybody knows what uh, go-kart is. And we built the Asia's first go-kart track on ice where the cars have spikes and you can really r- drive on ice. Yeah? It's in Changchun. We just delivered 10 uh, large 1,800 square meter ice rings in Harbin. Uh, we did the competition venues for the speed skating uh, discipline for the Olympic Games here in Beijing. Uh, we did uh, projects in Chengdu. We did outdoor uh, like fun par- ice fun parks in Shanghai. So really all over the country. Hi, I'm certainly not an expert on the building of ice rinks, but I know that in a in a, a country like China, where it's not always that cold, uh, 
it can be a little bit tricky. I remember when the NHL had some preseason games and they had a game down in Shanghai and the players were training there a couple of days before. It was so humid that it was so that it had become foggy. You couldn't actually see across the width of the ice. And they had to uh, ship in some dehumidifiers, I guess it would be, like on the day of the game. And they just about managed to get it under control. But, you know, we China desperately needs, um, you know, these foreign technology companies, you know, ice making and the, and, uh, the rink manufacturers to, to kind of bring everything up to speed. Now, at the expo, were there a lot of a lot more exhibitors than there were fans, or, or like were there a lot of customers who were looking around? No, it was absolutely packed. I mean, to, to get in, actually, you had to show that you'd had a, a test result over the last two days. But wow. even with that restriction, it was absolutely packed full of people. Um, and it wasn't just the Winter Sports Expo. There were um, exhibitions on pretty much. I mean, there were there were. Um, there was a financial expo and I, where I got to use a digital RMB for the very first time, which was a kind of a weird experience and kind of a cool experience. Um, there, there was tourism, there was media, computer, all these different things. And I, I mean, I, I don't know how many people were there, but there were tens and tens of thousands of people there. And it's still going today. I saw one clip of uh, some some kind of seminar there, and and it, uh, it was it was in one of the converted steel mills, which doesn't exactly have a, a watertight roof and oh, no. it's, it's, it's some areas. So basically, everyone on stage was holding umbrellas, and people in the audience as well, because yeah. it rained a lot here yeah. in Beijing yesterday. So so I did also have a chance to go to the launch of something called GISS, Get Into Snow Sports. Have you heard about this? No. They're trying to train. Uh, skiing and snowboarding instructors, and mostly, uh, you know, I spoke. I spoke with someone named Freddie Bacon, who is helping them along with this, and he was talking about how all these indoor ski hills that are being built in China is really, really important uh, to be able to do that. Yeah, so they're going to, to, to they're really going to build that out a lot. It's crazy. It's just inevitably kind of how creative you have to be with with some of this stuff because they don't have the natural ski hills or the snow yeah. apart from up in the far northeast of the country and so yeah you got to have indoor rinks you got also have these these uh these kind of a uh, rotating revolving you know ski slopes that they kind of you know what the things i mean i don't know what you mean no um have you seen those those things uh like where you can do surfing on a on like a wave, oh, like a wave pool. Yeah. So but, there was a guy there who was demonstrating. It was like a treadmill. Yeah, like a like a treadmill on a on a slope. Exactly. Yeah, it was so. Uh, and crazy. people are learning to. I've seen friends' kids yeah. post videos about this. Uh, yeah. You know, learning to ski on on some of these these. Yeah, I wanted to ask ask the the ask to see if I could try it try it out for size, but um, they just they weren't they weren't going to let <laughs> they me. To you like no, too big. They're, they're <laughs> too big, exactly. <laughs> um, Mark, what are you keeping your eyes on this week? Well, we're back to football. I mean, look, uh, China Japan is is happening in in the the World Cup qualifiers. So if they do pull something out of the bag there, that will be uh, that'll be interesting. Just uh, you know, we're we're still only early September, so. It's going to be at least a couple of months before some of these rescheduled test events start picking up as we get into the winter season. Uh, but yes, uh, there's. I'm hoping that it's not going to become too political again. Uh, this is an issue that sort of died down a little bit after yeah. when, when Tokyo, foot, um, you know, took took the spotlight. But uh, you never quite know what's happening in, in other places in the world as as the spotlight, you know, as the Paralympics wrap this weekend. And then the focus fully turns to Beijing with five months to go. Uh, there's definitely a window of 
of opportunity, I think, for for all the China Hawks to uh, to make their 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 voices heard once again. So we'll see what happens. But uh, you know, I, I I try to focus as much as possible on the sports, but sometimes it's uh, it's impossible to kind of separate those uh, those different threads. That was Mark Dreyer. You can read him at ChinaSportsInsider.com, where he covers everything we talk about here and much, much more. Follow him on Twitter at DreyerChina. That's D-R-E-Y-E-R, China. My name is Haig Balian. You can find me at TheBeijingSessions.com or follow me on Twitter at Haig Balian. That's H-A-I-G-B-A-L-I-A-N. We will be back very soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.